Grace Martinez Espino. I'm super fired up about this episode today because I've got a special guest here with me. He's a basketball trainer who's taken skill training to a whole new level. I mean, seriously, guys, his methods of training, as well as his under the microscope attention to detail, has gotten the attention of many basketball players. His influence in the world of basketball training has grown and will only continue to grow. So, ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, the founder of By Any Means Basketball. Coleman Ayers. Coleman, what's up, man? What's up? I appreciate the, the gracious intro. It means a lot. Kind words. So I'm, I'm hyped to be on here. Thanks for taking the time to talk to me. I know you're a pretty busy oh, yeah. guy, so I'm really grateful that you took the time to talk to me. For sure. All right. So how about you just tell me a little bit about yourself? Yeah, I mean, so you covered a lot of it. Um, started playing basketball like most of us from a very young age. Um, but if you have seen me before, I'm a six foot white guy, so <laughs> inherently have inherently have, had a little bit tougher of a time, especially coming from a really good basketball area. Um, grew up in Washington, D.C. So that whole area, Prince George's County, uh, Virginia as well, is just absolutely insane for basketball. Um, you know, on a nightly basis at the high school level, you're playing five, six D1 guys on each team. So kind of growing up in that tradition, um, I had to to really kind of scrap my way to each level um, just to kind of stay afloat, which was a really fun process for me. Um, and it taught a lot. It was definitely a grind, but it taught me a ton about the process of um, player development, kind of working myself out um, and, and the, the grind that it takes to get there and having to kind of do everything right in a sense to to make it to that next level each time. So anyways, um, played high school at St. John's College High School. Um, was actually the only player on my team that didn't play D1, I believe, or there are a couple guys that went D3. I personally was getting set to go play D3. Um, I had a couple of schools <clears throat> that I was essentially ready to commit to. Um, and I made kind of a last minute change, decided to head down to Miami to focus full-time on training, um, get my degree in strength and conditioning. Um, so now I've been down here in Miami. I've been training since I was, you know, in high school. I, I started working with some of the guys on the team and that kind of spread out to some of the, uh, some local players around the area. And I kind of concurrently uh, <clears throat> started going with the YouTube stuff, just looking at the game under the microscope and that kind of blew up. So I've been training for five to six years now, um, do both the, the skills like the on-court work as well as strength and conditioning slash performance work. So I really like to, to blend those two to see the game in a really unique way and continue to um, just innovate and come up with unorthodox ways we can train athletes in the most holistic way possible. So it's a little bit about me. All right. So for you growing up, I know you said you really started training in high school. When did the, when did you like flip the switch to, okay, I'm focusing on training myself to now nah, I really want to work hands-on training other people's skills and helping them get to that next level. Good question. So I would say 
probably about my junior year of high school is when my love for training uh yeah i would probably say kind of going into my senior so like 17 years old i would say is when that love of training kind of surpassed the love of working on my own game obviously i still love training myself like even to now i'll go to the gym two or three times a week just to kind of work on my own game and feel stuff out but that's when I was like, all right, this is really what I want to do. Um, Cause I would have more fun and I would get more out of training other players and seeing their improvement than myself. So that's kind of when that um, flipped for me, but it was definitely once I made the decision to go full-time into training and turn down playing at the next level, that fork in the road really just like, that's when it hit me and I was like, all right, this is time to just give every single um, bit of me to the actual player development side rather than trying to do both at the same time. That's what's up. And I respect that a lot because even like at such a young age, we're so caught up oh, yeah. in like really grinding for ourselves. Like I know exactly. I'm still kind of the same way. I kind of have like that 50-50 of me training myself and kind of training some of the players mm -hmm. that I work with. But for you to notice that at such a young age, I respect that a lot. No, I appreciate that. I'm, it's funny because I'm still like, there'll be times where I almost go too hard for myself even now. Like I'll work out with some of my guys and, and I'd probably do it even too much at the expense of their, their workout sometimes. Cause I'm like, no, nah, we're going to, we're going to focus on what I need to focus on. I'm like, yo, I got to put this to the side. And, and <laughs> it's really about, it's tough to, cause it's a selfless, you really have to be selfless in the sense that you're focusing purely on the athlete in front of you rather than, um yourself so it, it's tough to do both at the same time at first but I think it's it's a fun process once you get going understood so by any means tell me how that came about what really drove that and kind of touch upon your methods of training I know your you said the word perfectly unorthodox I personally love the way we train because it's very out of the box not a lot of people like to focus on things like that but kind of talk to me about that yeah, so I would say, especially in, in, in regard to the unorthodox methods, um, I've, I feel like I've always looked at the game in a different way. Uh, not necessarily different, but just looking at it, looking at it in a different perspective through different lenses and looking at it um, really just deeper in general. Um, we're, we're all looking at the same game. Like if I, if I watch a basketball game and the casual fan watches a basketball game, we're looking at the same thing, but there's so many smaller details and qualities and techniques that go into the game of basketball, not only into the actual game itself, but how we train for it, that if we don't fully dive into every bit of it, we can be leaving a lot on the table. Um, so, and then from there, just coming up with, practical but also creative ways to train these qualities that we may not even see most of the time um and that's where it starts to get you know unorthodox or innovative because most of these things just aren't really looked at um that deep so we'd never really isolate these qualities so i think sometimes it can be um it can look weird it can be uncomfortable because we're not used to doing taking ourselves outside of the box and training. And I'm perfectly okay with that because at the end of the day, 
you've got to separate yourself in some way as a player, as a trainer, as a coach, um, and doing the same things that we've been doing for, you know, the last 50 years and one generation passes it down to the next and then they pass it down to the next. There's so much to be um, reinvented and, and um, so much room for innovation that, you know, it's, it's someone has to, to do it. And I feel like, um, well, at least hopefully I can uh, help start kind of a movement to continue to push the game and, and how we train for it forward. I love that. That's awesome. So to kind of touch on what you were just saying, like how we need to change up the methods that we have been passed down to us for like 50, 60 years, what do you feel has like changed or how do you feel like the game has evolved, evolved in a sense? Cause I don't think the game itself has changed. Yeah. I just think skill wise and athletically, the, the things that players are doing now on the men and women's side is just totally oh, yeah. different than what was going on 50 years ago. Yeah, no, I think, for one, it like you mentioned, athletically, at like in terms of where we are as, in terms of the the average athlete in the NBA or the WNBA, is significantly better than where we were, even thirty years ago. Um, you know, strength and conditioning has evolved exponentially. You look at like Michael Jordan was looked at funny for for doing strength and conditioning training that was in the early 90s um and now it's like if you're not in the weight room if you're not really going hard on that side of things um everyone kind of knows you're leaving something on the table um so in terms of where these guys and girls are as athletes it makes a huge difference and i think that opens up everything skill wise um because now we have players who are not only great athletes, but also extremely skilled. Um, and it kind of used to be in, in where it's like you have the athletes and you have the skilled players. Now it's mm -hmm. like if you're not both of those, you don't have a chance of being in the league. So that combination of really, really elite athleticism with extremely high skill levels um, – opens up a lot in the game and I think we continue to have players that come along that just open everything up so like um I mean going back to Allen Iverson dude was athletic as hell also very skilled a lot of guards saw that and realized all right we can be the same type player as this um that opened up a lot for guards and then you got guys like Steph Curry coming along who just you know he's athletic in a kind of um unorthodox way and he's, you know, comes along and opens up the game to where now everyone, if you go to a gym and during an AAU tournament, everyone's just jacking up threes and it's really opening up the court for a lot more to happen. So it's just continuous, like whether it's purposeful or not by anyone, continuous evolution of the game and all of it's going to towards a point where it's the highest levels of athleticism combined with the highest levels of skill. And a lot of that is driven by how we train um, new advancements in how we train on both the strength side and on the on-court side. Understood. And I think you in particular are like really shining in that realm of bringing both worlds together. Cause even now, like we're starting to see how people are bringing the two together, but right. no one really knows how to do it in like such a cohesive way that you do. And I think what's really interesting about you is like, you said you went to U of Miami 
great exercise science program. Oh yeah. I'm all over that because I actually went to Brooklyn college and I'm a kinesiology major myself. Oh, so yeah. when I found your page and I saw how you were kind of blending those two together and seeing like how, Oh my God, I'm not the only person watching a basketball <laughs> yeah. game and also thinking like anatomy jargon in my head. I think it's no, great. Exactly. But the cool thing for you is like, you explain that and you bring like the world of anatomy but almost in a way that like other players that like don't understand the language right. like you and I, that they can just bite off and chew because I know I can only speak for myself. You probably do the same thing. We could be talking anatomy and people will look at us like we're speaking a foreign yeah, language. Like, what, like, the, hell oh, what the hell did you just say? <laughs> yeah. No, exactly. No, but I think that's, that's super cool. And I feel like that's really one of the things that kind of separates you from most other skills trainers. But as far as when you started by any means, how long did it take you to like build that influence? I know you said you started locally with some of the players on your team and then just other players from around. Yeah. So it was, it's funny because the online stuff kind of started, I don't want to say before I really got going with training in person, but I, I was just so busy training myself at that point where, you know, I couldn't be doing multiple sessions a day because um, I was training myself three times a day and, and going to school and playing. So it was tough to get a lot of traction, like actually training players, which is why a lot of my, well, that's one reason why a lot of my, you know, early videos on YouTube are just like pretty basic and, and just kind of break down the game because um, I, I hadn't really figured out the training then. I just we're starting to figure out how to see the game through this lens. Um, and then also I look like a 13 year old, like little, little white kid. <laughs> and just nobody wanted to see my face on, on YouTube or anything. Nobody would trust me. So no, nah, so it's the online stuff kind of started first and took off. I think primarily because nobody was really breaking down the game to that level yet. Um, I think it's definitely become more popular now, which is cool to see. Um, but that, it, it honestly grew quicker than I can imagine. Like I was just making videos for myself at first, like essentially doing film study for myself, threw it up on YouTube and then it started to get more and more traction. Like the views started coming in. I was like, all right, I guess, I guess we got a little something going on here. So that was, that kind of took off within like a year or so. And then that's when I was still trying to figure out how can I take what I'm seeing in the game and apply it onto these on-court sessions with players, um, how, how I can communicate the, these ideas that I see in games um, or that I, these techniques that I talk about in you know, my, my early videos. So I think I really got a, a hang of the training probably a couple years into um, what I was doing with By Any Means because, you know, as we know, there's so much that goes into it. I really wanted to build up my, um, like my exercise science knowledge, anatomy, biomechanics. I wanted to build that up before I really um, started selling the players. Like, all right, I can get you in the gym and get better. I needed to build up my communication skills. I needed to build up um, a ton of knowledge that goes along with just the raw knowledge of the game. Because there's so much that goes into training outside of just seeing the game and hoping that that applies into your workouts. Um, so the online stuff, long story short, online stuff started going, getting going first. Um, and then through that, I kind of built 
um, what I do when I'm actually on the court with players. Um, and that was a little bit slower of a process. Understood. So training for basketball, just like building up a business, is a process. It takes oh, yeah. time and you have to trust that process. But I really like how you just went full speed ahead and really dove into the nitty gritty of yeah. biomechanics and kinesiology and making sure that you really knew what you were talking about before you had anything to sell. Cause that's like, I think the most important thing, especially when you're trying to sell players, like they want to yeah. see that like you got game and that you yeah. got the results to speak for it. You can't right. just talk your game. No, exactly. Yeah. And I think that's the number one thing is that it takes confidence you have to be extremely confident in your ability as a trainer to get on the court, get consistent results with players, um, and check all the boxes that need to be checked in terms of training, which, again, is so much more than just the raw knowledge of, again, communication. You know, if, if we want to talk about a little bit more about my style of training, biomechanics, um, applying like the strength and conditioning side, but there's so much more that goes into it, like psychology really understanding where players are coming from in terms of their mindsets so much more that goes into it. And without understanding that you're leaving a lot out on the table. Um, and that is something I really wanted to make sure I was grasping before I dove headfirst into working with players. Understood. Now going back to kind of the methodology, even though that's really what we've been talking about the entire time. <laughs> no. I remember going to your clinic back in Queens and one of my favorite drills was yeah. like, it was a warm up drill for ball handling, but nobody had a ball because we're yeah. just strictly yeah. focusing on the movement. Talk to me about that and how you believe it translates over. Cause even going through it, I still kind of practice it now. I see oh, yeah. the rollover into it and it just has helped me that little thing of just focusing on the movement before adding the ball into it just really separated things leaps and bounds so just kind of talk to me about that definitely so i mean i could talk about this for days and a <laughs> <laughs> little background like so i start off most of my workouts without a ball um and a lot of this will be stuff that you'll typically see in like a weight room environment not typically done on the basketball court and i think this is where like that kind of where my training gets somewhat unorthodox um, is because we literally don't have a ball in our hands. And it's like, all right, why are we doing this? And I think this is good for a couple of reasons. Number one is there are a lot of, so the way I see it, especially in the context of ball handling, the ball is just an implement that we have to carry with us as we move around the court. And I think once we see it that way, we have to check the box of being able to move first before we add in the ball. Now, obviously we can do this together and we do a lot of time. I'll still do standard ball handling drills for the majority of it, but isolating certain qualities, whether it's like, for example, I'm working with one of my college guys right now is not good at all at moving side to side as he dribbles the ball. He's just straight downhill at all times. Whenever I, try to expose him to something where he's moving laterally. He's, he's just not very comfortable with it. Does he have the ball control to do this? hundred percent, but the ball is oftentimes a limiting factor in this sense. So what I'll do with him is for every session recently, we've been doing like skater jumps. So going side to side lateral, 
um, building off of that, getting a little bit more complex, going crossover steps, um, turning it into some agility stuff where we're just moving side to side. Then we add in the ball. And the way I see that is that the movements and the exercises that we do without the ball begin to educate what we do with the ball. So now he's like, all right, I've started to master how I move without the ball. When I add in the ball, it's going to be an added layer of complexity. It's going to be a little bit tougher, but you don't have to think as much about the movement. Um, and then it comes to just putting everything together. Um, so I think it's easier to train qualities like that when you don't have to worry about the ball at first. <clears throat> Not saying that we do this for the first even 10, 15 minutes of a workout, but for the first five minutes of a workout, I really like the idea of going without a ball, isolating the movement qualities. <clears throat> and plus, like I'm sure after we did that drill without the ball, you probably felt really primed up. You were ready to go because you're just moving, you're flowing. Um, and then once we do get into the ball handling, it just feels more comfortable. Um, and it, it's, it's the whole workout just flows a little bit better for me because we're progressing up to it. So, you know, I could go on for days about um, all the, the benefits of isolating certain movement qualities and all the different qualities that I will work with players. Um, but that's kind of the crux of, of why I will oftentimes start without a ball, just isolating the movement. Understood. And I really like that one because it's kind of like practicing before practicing, you know, yeah. like your mind is mentally getting primed for yeah. the movement. And now you're basically, you're just putting the ball there, like right. you said, and now it just flows. And now after that, you have that in your mind, just no, exactly. focus on the movement. Cause I know for me, like even doing ball handling drills, as you start to layer them and make them more difficult, people are more focused on, not fumbling the ball right. versus actually doing the movement. And then for that, now you're shortchanging the movement, but you're not messing up the ball. So yeah. you're not messing up. You're doing the drill right. But no, yeah, you're leaving not, a lot of stuff on the table. No, 100%. And I think, again, ball handling is more movement than actually handling the ball. Like, yes, we do need a prerequisite level of ball control, but I think that comes quicker than being able to become a really good mover and being able to maneuver around defenders and, um, you know, work really well in curve lines and getting into these optimal um, angles. There's, there's a ton of qualities that we can train, um, but I think it's, it's smart to be able to um, isolate these things again and then add in the ball because typically that's not the limiting factor for at least most higher level players. And even if we're going to work on our ball control, we might as well do it in a way where we're moving and we're not just sitting there pounding the ball into the ground, which, again, I, I don't like to hate on any training method because there's some context in which it can be valuable. Um, but for the most part, I like doing ball control in a little bit more specific scenarios where um, you're moving with the ball like you would be in a game or even exaggerated from what you would be doing in a game. Right. And even in a training setting, like what I've noticed, especially with younger players and by younger, I mean like that middle school to high school age, yeah. the tension span is like very, oh, yeah. very low. So very if we low. show them something that rolls over into the game or feels game-like, now they're really engaged and now they're going to yep. go harder and they'll, they'll start connecting the dots. I think that's awesome. No, for sure. And I, I think another thing you probably noticed at the clinic is after the first section, everything was pretty much live. Yeah. And like you're playing against an, a defender, you're 
you have someone contesting your shot and I feel like players can grasp that for longer because one, it's different every time. Like every rep will be different because the defender is going to play you a different way or you're going to try a new move or maybe you're tired on one rep. So you do a different move on this defender. So every rep will be different in some way, even if you're doing the same drill. Um, so there's always kind of that you're getting a novel read or you're um, training something new on every rep. So younger players can really stay locked into those drills longer. And two, it's just more fun to compete. Right. So that's the biggest thing to me is like if players are playing to a certain number, playing to five, they're going to keep stay locked in for however long it takes to get to five or, um, you know, if we're going for a certain amount of time. And then like you were saying, I think the last thing is just having that context. Like they understand why they're doing it. And that's a really good point is that when players, even at the college level, like when players understand why they're doing a drill, they're really able to um, stay and they're, they're able to stay present for longer, I'll say, um, without getting distracted and starting to go through the motions because they see that direct transfer. Yeah, 100%. So I know this one's definitely going to be like a loaded question because I don't oh, yeah. know how to answer this. There's, <laughs> there's really no one-size-fits-all answer for this. But from your perspective and with your method of training, what do you believe are like the main things to prioritize when training a player? If you had to break it down to like, say – three or four things very yeah it's a very it's a loaded but it's a really good question um number one is i'm trying to think of the best way to put it i'll say decision making like we all know the players who they're not the fastest their handles are solid but nothing crazy they can't do any crazy tricks um they can shoot a little bit but again, nothing crazy, uh, not the most athletic, but they always make the right read or they always just find their way to the bucket. So having those instincts and always making the right reads and making the right decisions is probably the best skill that you can have. Um, and these are typically the players that have been playing for a long time. Like they've just been hooping since they were little kids. So they've accumulated a ton of reps just seeing the game and reading different situations and building these reflexes where they're always making the right read. So I would say that's number one. Number two, and this is a, an extremely broad answer, but become really good at moving. So like we were talking about earlier, and I won't go too long on this one because we talked about this for 10 minutes earlier, is being able to move with the ball without the ball and a ton of different, you know, contexts and, and being able to adapt and do things that you may have never done before. Um, so what I mean by that is like, again, we all know players like this where like they just look really fluid. They, they can, you show them a new move and they pick it up right away. Um, and they just, it never really looks like they, they're stumbling through any move or any play. Um, and that's because they're really good. They're checking boxes of a bunch of different qualities and they're just very good movers. So number one, get really good at making decisions Two, moving really well. 
And I would say three, I'm not even going to overthink this one, being able to shoot the ball. Like, especially these days, like we're talking about with the game developing and evolving, you got to be able to shoot the ball. I mean, you don't have to, but it makes it a lot easier to find yeah, your way on sure. the screen. Like, if, you, if you're able to sit in the corner, knock down threes, and play defense, you'll find your way onto any team. Mm-hmm. Not any team, but, but a team. Um, so that was, that's probably the simplest one but, of those three. But decision-making, moving really well, and being able to knock down shots. Yeah, that kind of ties into my next question. So, like, out of the triple threat between, like, passing, ball handling, and shooting, mm-hmm. you would probably say shooting would be, like, top tier right now. Yeah, yeah, I would. Uh, yeah, I would say that for 100% sure because at the end of the day, if you can make shots and you can make tough shots, like, I mean, look at Luka Doncic. Like, I don't care if he's fading away from – 20 feet away and just falling back and shooting a, a crazy shot over a, you know, he doesn't have to be athletic to get to these shots. He doesn't, he, he is somewhat athletic. He is very crafty, but it's like, as long as you can knock down shots, if you can get those shots off, then you're automatically going to be scoring. And then even like with three and D players and you're always going to find your way onto a team, being able to shoot the ball point blank mm-hmm. period. Hundred percent. That goes into those last two. So being a good mover and then shooting the ball. So like, if you look at Luca, like, I mean, he is to an extent athletic. But when you watch him, most yeah. people, most people would say he looks like mad slow. Oh yeah. But it's like, how's he look so slow? <laughs> but he's like so crafty and he's no, making these crazy. crazy shots. It's crazy. And he, I was actually on watching some of his possessions yesterday with uh, with a kid I trained, just doing some film work, and. I noticed a couple of things kind of related to that. One is like, he'll literally just take his time getting into the paint. He doesn't care if a defender's staying in front of him. He'll just make his way down there. Cause once he gets in the paint, he's like, all right, I'll just shoot a little fade away and knock it down. Like he doesn't care about getting by players. And another thing he does really well is, is take, takes angles really well. Um, he always has like the right angle to get, sneak around that defender and, and get to the right spot on the floor. So, and that's just stuff that comes with a ton of experience, which is, I mean, he has it. He's been playing pro since, I don't know, it's some crazy young age, like 15, been playing in the Euro League. So that's just a really experienced player who's probably been playing since a young age and, and has really embraced all the, the methods that, um, you know, less athletic players can can take advantage of to, you know, start killing the NBA and averaging damn near a triple double and 21 years old. Calmly too. Like no, nothing. Yeah. Just My chilling. God. Just chilling. I mean, he it's crazy. He'll complain a lot. And that's the only emotion you see out of him. But nice. No, he's, it's uh, he's probably behind Steph, like my favorite player to watch right now. Just it's, it's so calm. Like you said, it's just so relaxed and it's, it's unorthodox. We keep coming back to this word, but it's unorthodox in the way that he's able to score. Like we haven't seen this level of just pure craftiness in a while. I feel like maybe some Chris Paul, but even he's fast as hell. So it's like, it's crazy to watch. It's really fun to watch. Right. And then another player, you mentioned Steph Curry and it ties into moving and shooting. I think the reason that, Steph is able to get all these shots off is because he is so freaking good at moving without the ball. And it's like, I feel like moving without the ball is such an 
overlooked and undervalued skill to have on the court on any level. Moving without the ball is such a skill, like for the simple fact that you will get your defender tired. And for that, now everything opens up, whether it's a shot or now one of your teammates is open. No, exactly. Moving without the ball is probably, that's to me probably the most underrated skill. Like, even though I didn't mention those top three skills, it's probably the most underrated because everything we do in workouts, we typically have the ball. Everything we do, you know, in, in a game, we want the ball in our hands. And it's like, why not just make it easy for us when we get the ball in our hands and we have a wide open shot, which is, to me, why Steph is so fun to watch. Um, and, I mean, the fatiguing your defender is huge. Like, I grew up a huge Steph fan. Like, I, that's who I used to model my game after. And even to this day, I'll go play pickup. And everyone's just like, I don't want to guard this guy because I'm going to be tired as hell after I – because I'm just running around the court, even if it's just like, you know, bullshit movement at times. Like, I'm just right. trying to find a way to get open. And it's that's something that I try to convey to players is like, if you're able to do this, eventually you're going to find an open spot on the court. Like, if you're setting screens for your teammates and you're um, always searching out for that open pocket of space, like, you're eventually going to get an open shot, period. You're going to find that shot. So I think moving out the ball is definitely the most underrated skill um and it's something that like you said Steph is just completely mastered 100% and then as far as your training like I noticed you do a lot of collaborations like with a lot of strength and conditioning specialists I think that is super cool and it really just layers on to your attention to detail like merging the world of basketball and strength and conditioning so kind of talk to me briefly about how you got into those collaborations yeah, I mean, I think I respect I, – I, I always try to find others that I respect, um, and there are a lot of them that have similar mindsets, um, especially on the strength and conditioning side, because I want to – be doing the on-court stuff um, for, you know, five, six years now, you, you don't see much merging of the two. Um, so I feel like someone has to, in a sense, connect the two. Um, and you don't really see much synergy usually between the, the strength and conditioning side and the on-court side. Like most players will go to their performance trainer, work out, come on the court, do a workout with their skills coach. And the two won't have any connection at all. And that's just how it, how it's been like just off of based off of convenience that's how it is for the most part but I think if skills trainers are able to understand the performance side more and performance trainers are able to understand the skill side more there's going to be a ton more synergy between the two the two can really build off each other and educate each other um and I think the best way to do that is doing collabs with like performance coaches or, or strength and conditioning coaches because I have, you know, a large following of, of on-court guys and girls who will see those collaborations and start to un- build at least a foundation of, of knowledge on the other side. So kind of being able to, to, to merge both together um, and collaborate with as many different viewpoints as possible, I think is huge. Because um, then everyone starts to at least build a foundational understanding of the other side, regardless of, of what that is. Right. Understood. I think 
like you said, you said it perfectly, synergy, bringing those two worlds together yeah. will just increase people's performance leaps and bound. And then oh, yeah. on top of that, I think it'll drastically, it probably, that might be an exaggerated word, but I think it would drastically decrease the amount of injuries that yeah, happen no, to basketball 100%. players. 100%. I think, yeah, injury-wise, that's huge. Um, and I think part of the – I mean, I go, again, on and on about injuries, but I think part of the reason why we see so many injuries is because there's not this synergy and because we neglect – we we train all we want. We can train all we want in the weight room, but if we don't apply those qualities onto the court in some form or fashion, there's not going to be that direct transfer. And without that direct transfer, there's – Probably, again, I don't have any direct research to, to prove it, but probably um, less of a chance of injury if we're able to get this direct transfer from weight room to the court um, because to, again, have that, have that synergy. Yeah, because especially from the strength and conditioning side, like from making my own programs for my clients, whether they be players or just weekend warriors, there's mm-hmm. so much that goes into it. And like, oh, yeah so many things that need to change, like from the yeah. player perspective, strictly going from off season to preseason, yep. the in season, to postseason. there's so much change in load so in reps, sets, volume, all of that. And like, even like, you don't want to leave those things to chance because you also don't want right. to put that player at risk of injuring themselves and now not being able to play. And then having to make a whole completely different program strictly based on rehab yeah. to start them over and no, do and that's, all yeah, that exactly. stuff again. Exactly. No, and I think that's a really good point. And like you said, not leaving it to chance. And I think the less we can leave to chance, the better. And I mean, I'm sure you know this where it's like, if you make a program for a player and you schedule them to have pretty high volume on one day because they've been chilling the last couple of days. And then they come to you and they're like, yo, I just did a four hour workout where I was running suicides and everything. And it's like, all right, well, that's completely effed up now. Like, and now we have to go. Well, it's like, I mean, I'm glad you didn't die, but like, yeah. why did you do that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, oh, I went and played five hours of pickup. So it's like, that's where, that's where being able to have that synergy between the on-court and the, the weight room trainers, or it's like, yo, I'm going to go really hard on the court today with him. So don't kill him today. Or it's like, oh, I'm going to take it easy with her today. So maybe you can go a little bit harder in the weight room today um it's it's really as simple as that even obviously i want there to be more um communication between the two but even that just simple communication about load can make an insanely large difference not only in terms of performance and and the gains that we get there but also in terms of um the reduction of injuries and now bringing the two together when it comes to rest to work ratio Mm. how important is that rest when it comes to strength training and skill training like when you put those two together based on whether it's a high load or low load type of day how important is that rest coming off of those types of sessions no i think it's it's huge that's a really 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 good thing to consider um not only between sessions but within a session so like i actually just filmed a video about this um about how skills trainers can st- like as performance coaches, we all understand like the three energy systems, right? Like CP system, uh, anaerobic system, aerobic system, right? If you look at most on court workouts, 
they're very aerobic in a way. Like we're always just moving at like a sub maximal intensity. We're going through the motions a little bit. We don't get much rest. It's like, all right, jog back into this shot, into this shot, into this shot. But when we look at the game, it's stop hard as you can. Stop, rest a little bit, go as hard as you can with a little bit of jogging in there. So I think we're not proper, properly preparing ourselves for the game if we train very aerobically. And that's another thing that skills coaches can take from those strength and conditioning coaches and apply to their own training is like, all right, we're probably a little bit too aerobic in this workout. Let's give them a little bit more rest um, in between drills. Or like one thing I'll do is just a lot of players now have built a tendency to they'll go through a rep and then they'll run back to their next rep. I'm like, yo, just walk to your next rep. We may get less reps in, but those reps will be higher quality. Right. Um, which is huge because you're able to actually go at a higher speed, higher level of intent, which is it's going to make a huge difference. So keeping that in mind. And then so if you consider that intro workout, um, the inter workout rest is huge as well. Just um, understanding how much a player has been loaded in the past 48 hours, especially is huge. Uh, like just mentioning earlier, like if the strength coach goes really hard with a player in the weight room, maybe you balance that out with uh, a lighter workout on the court or actually what I like to do and have been doing recently is if we go hard in the weight room, I'll go hard on the court that day. And then we'll go very light overall the next day. So then it's, you're just kind of undulating like a really high intensity day, very low intensity day going up and down. So there's a lot of ways you can do it, but I think the big thing is just being, having reasoning for why we're doing it and not leaving it um, like you mentioned up to just random randomness and, and, and up to, up to chance Um, having a reason behind why we're going hard in this workout, why we're taking it lighter in this workout what movements we're on. Like, I think, and this is a tangent I could go on, but I'm not going to, is like, we could even coordinate the, the qualities that we train in the weight room and, and on the court in the sense of like, all right, if we're working linear acceleration today in the weight room, we're going to do stuff on the court that mirrors this, but in an on-court skill setting. Um, it's like we're doing like a, um, I don't know, like a lateral based uh workout on the on the performance side then a lot of what we do is learning how to move side to side with the ball on the court so it's like also creating the synergy not only in terms of intensity but also the quality strain can make a big difference 100 percent agreed now as far as those off-court skills like what do you I, I know i asked you what are probably the most important skills on the court what do you believe off the court are very important skills. Like for me, I think the biggest separator, especially in my senior year of college, was really doubling down on how to watch film with intent, like being able to actually slow the stuff down and having the patience to slow it, rewind it, rewatch it, or watch it in slow-mo and take notes and then like see how that rolls over into how you actually play. Because like from that standpoint, when you watch it and you actually see what's going on, versus being on the court it almost in a sense slows things down right and i think that helps a lot especially with the decision making because yeah when you're in the moment and you're in the motion of a game there's a lot of things going on and you could just feel like almost possessed in a way to just do some crazy oh, yeah. shit 
And then yeah, that's how you make much. the simplest yeah. mistakes. And then you watch and you're like, yo, why did I do that? Just yeah. give yourself a second to, you know, face up, look at the rim and realize, wow, if I actually looked at the rim, probably could have shot the ball. Or yeah. this person right here was wide open. But it, you just have to slow down. Yeah, no, I, film is huge. I'll get into the other skills that I think are big off the court. But I like watching film for three main reasons. One is, like you were mentioning, watching yourself and like, all right, what could I have done better here? What tendencies can I, um, maybe what, what, what have I done well and how can I continue to do that? Or what can I do better? What tendencies can I kind of fix? Because they're not really working so well. So self-analysis is number one. Two is recognizing patterns. Um, I think what well, decision-making is very dependent on how well we recognize patterns. There's a good amount of research in that area. Um, and ideally, we get all of that experience on the court because we play so often. We've been playing since kids, but that's not realistic. So I think being able to, to watch film, understanding like, all right, if I drive or, or if a player drives in this way, how will the defense typically shift or um, if I set up with this move, how will the defense typically shift? So being able to understand patterns um, and eventually apply that into how you see from a first person point of view is huge. Um, and then lastly is just identifying things that you can add to your game. Uh, so like watching other players and be like, I like this setup that he uses or she uses. I'm going to start applying this into my game or this is a technique that she uses to uh, shield the ball from defenders when he's down in the paint. I'm going to work on this in my workout tomorrow. So I think those three things are huge. Um, in terms of other skills off the court, I would say the big one is just taking care of your body. Every pro, not every pro, but most pros that I work with or have worked with are so much more cognizant of this than the average high school or even college player. Cause they understand this is how I feed my family. If I don't take care of my body and my body crashes out on me four years early, that's four years less of salary that I get to feed my family. It's literally a job for them. So they're trying mm -hmm. to keep their job job by eating well and sleeping well and investing in their body. Um, whereas high school players just, and I think it's also that a lot of high school coaches are just grind, 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 mm -hmm. um, and run players into the ground. Even at the college level, it's, it's, it's almost insane how many coaches do that. Um, but once you get to the point where you're, again, that's your job, you start to realize how important it is to focus on your longevity. And, you know, this, this doesn't just come by instinct there's research that you have to do you have to pay people to help you with this many times but it's a huge investment it's going to make you more money get you to higher levels in the long term in the long run so that's probably the big thing that i've seen from the best players that i've worked with is just understanding how important longevity is and the discipline to do what it takes to continue to play for four or five years past what you what you would if you were just eating mcdonald's and sleeping six hours a day right and like people especially at the college level which is mind-boggling to me people really underestimate 
overtraining. Yeah. That is definitely a thing. Oh, yeah. And it takes a huge toll on your body. Huge. And like DOMS hits everybody differently. Yeah. Like delayed onset muscle soreness is not the same for me as it is for you, as right. it is for LeBron James and everybody else under the sun. Everybody reacts or crashes differently. And like right. how you recover to that is a really big difference because now if you don't recover properly, now you get back on the court and you're playing at like at most 65% yeah, of your exactly. potential, you're leaving a lot of stuff on the table and you're just putting yourself at risk to get injured. And now you yep. have to start back at square one. Exactly. No, and I think it's the, I like using that percentage as, as a way to describe this, where it's like, all right, let's say you practice or let's say you work out on day one and you go really hard and you're now at like 50%. You could take the next day off and get back to 80, 90%, or you could go hard again, get better in air quotes. If, if you can't see me doing that, mm -hmm. <laughs> get better, but now you're actually going to a low percentage. Let's say you have, so you're at 35, 40% of your max ability. Now you have a game on day three. Now you feel like you've gotten better because you've done two workouts in a row. You're actually worse than you would be if you just maybe even took it easy on that day too. So I think that's, really important to keep in mind for players and coaches as well and trainers too so like for me as a trainer like I always have an agenda in my mind it's like all right we're gonna take care of this this and this on the court with this player and then they'll come to me and be like yo my coach killed us today we have to be able to say just completely throw that out the window and be like all right how can this player in front of me how can I serve him or her best um, to get them the, res the best results in, you know, next couple of days or long run. And many times that's throwing out what we had planned and adjusting it in a way that's going to fit their workload better. Uh, so that's huge for coaches, trainers, and players alike. Understood, man. I could talk to you about this for hours because now no, you yeah. got like my exercise science brain going. I love oh, yeah. stuff. No, it's, I, I always love talking about it in terms of in, in this lens. Um, because the two really are so heavily combined, we just separate them too often, which is funny. But again, I could go on about that for days and days and days. Right, word. So before I ask you my last two questions, where can my audience find you on any form of social media? YouTube, type in by any means basketball. Hopefully it'll come up for you. Um, Instagram at by any means basketball, or you can follow my personal page, Coleman Ayers, Coleman.Ayers uh twitter same thing by any means basketball i'm not really on tiktok yet uh but i have an account i just don't post on there much so i guess if you want to go follow that as well but pretty much everything's by any means basketball go check it out and hit me with any questions if you got anything gotcha and then from your perspective where you're at right now versus where you started which i think is great what's the legacy you want to leave behind definitely just never being afraid to look like I'm crazy at first and eventually making that level of craziness. I don't want to say look like genius, but yeah, look like genius. Um, so, so not only doing that myself, but also empowering other coaches, trainers, players to do the same to be uncomfortable, to get outside their comfort zone, to try new stuff that may seem crazy and eventually works out for them in the long run. 
Um, so I think that's the main thing of where the impact that I want to make as, uh, as a trainer and just continue to revolutionize the way that people train. Word. Now, any words of wisdom you want to give or to add to what you just said to all my hoopers out there tuning in? Ooh, all right. That's, yeah, that's a good one. Uh, mine is definitely scrambling. All right, so I would say, and this is probably fresh on my mind because we, this is kind of a conversation we ended with, but don't be afraid. Don't fall too deep into the grinded out mindset. Working every, I truly believe that everyone works hard. Not everyone, but everyone, especially if you're listening to this, trying to educate yourself, you already work hard. There are probably thousands of people that work as hard as you though. I know there are people that work harder than me, but the best way to get ahead is to spend some of that time, even taking time away from training, figuring out how you can train better or how you can educate yourself better or finding other edges that aren't just grinding it out. Um, so I would say that's the big thing, partly just because that was the last conversation we had, but it's huge to understand not only the importance of rest, not only the importance of finding other ways to get that edge, but also just enjoying life and being creative and, and, un and understanding that that will eventually help you in the long run. That's something that I've learned the hard way that a lot of players, coaches, trainers, and, and people in general have learned the hard way um and are continuing to learn so that's my my piece of big philosophical advice for today i love that well again coleman thank you so much for taking time out of your day for sure. come chat with me come chat to my audience i feel like they will definitely find a lot of value in this episode so again thank you so much i really appreciate your time with me today for sure thanks for having me hopefully everybody enjoys it and you heard him, guys, at By Any Means Basketball. Type it in, look it up, follow him, do yourself a favor, get on the wave. Because if you don't, well, you better ask somebody. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. All right, guys, until next time, stay the course, stay ready, and stay blessed. Yeah.